Welcome to the Fierce Joy Podcast. I'm Anastasia, a holistic health coach, yoga instructor, entrepreneur, and a mother to far too many children. Life is too short to feel overwhelmed by too many things and too many people pulling you in too many directions. This is a space to have honest conversations with women and about life so that you can lead with strength, freedom, and joy and go out into the world and do all the amazing things that you're here to do without losing your mind. Oh, and have some friggin' fun along the way. This is it. This is your life. Hello and welcome. We are so excited to have Dorothea with us today, who is a mind, body, emotions therapist and counselor in Northfield, Minnesota. She's also a level three, the highest level practitioner in internal family systems, the fastest growing psychotherapy in the country right now. And I am very excited to have her on today because there's just so much of this information that is so applicable. So thank you so much for joining me today. You're welcome. It's fun to be here. Thank you. Thank you. So I would love to have you just start off and tell people a little bit about what you do. Okay. So for about the last 20 to 25 years, I've been a mind, body, emotions, and spirit therapist, as you said, which these days is often called a somatic therapist. And um, it's working with um, the body and the mind and the emotions together. And I've been doing that for a long time. And it's really nice to see that finally emotions, the importance of emotions is coming out in mainstream psychotherapy. And as you said, I'm also trained in internal family systems, which I really love. And um, I'll tell you a little bit about that in a bit. But what I'd say right away is that um, uh, what I work with what is stored in the body and um, what is stored in the body is really in your unconscious mind because your body is your unconscious mind. And um, what is stored in the body is usually stored in tension. And that's what I first learned about is how to work with what the tension that the body is holding. Sometimes we know we're holding tension and lots of times we don't even know. For the years, I didn't know I was holding all kinds of tension in my body. and. Um, and what's stored there in tension is usually old painful memories and the emotions that go with them that you put away because you're too little to deal with them or old painful beliefs that you took on because of those painful experiences. So I work a lot with um, those beliefs about yourself that are stored in your body. Things like I'm bad, I'm always doing something wrong. There's something wrong with me. I'm never good enough. I'm not cared about. I'm not lovable. Or things like to be loved, I have to be perfect. I have to do everything right. Or, um, you know, like you mentioned to me, Anastasia, that you are um, really interested in supporting women and women's development and women's emotional healing. And a really huge one for almost all women is I'm supposed to be responsible for everything <laughs> and everything's my fault. <laughs> Which is such an interesting thing because I, I love what you said. I don't know that everybody knows about this idea. I think a lot of people know about the talk therapy aspect, which is one layer <laughs> of healing and one modality of healing, but there's this whole other layer. That's that the, the somatic, that body connection and I find this messaging about women truly interesting because I 
only coach women right now and there's always themes that come up and this is a big one that women don't quite know where they got it from don't quite know how they learned it but it's quite pervasive and quite mean like it's not a nice voice telling you all these things you have to be right and you see it's not uh, it's hard to know because it's just out in the culture and even though women's liberation has been around for a very long time, it's still out in the culture that everything's your fault. If you're female, it's your fault. If you're female, it's your body's fault. Mm -hmm. There's something wrong with your body. You know, I mean, how Which is often a whole other conversation, that? right? Like we well, can't trust our bodies. We can't right. cravings, exactly. desires, pleasure. We need an outside fix. Like we, yeah. we don't know what's going on with us. Someone else has to fix this. We have to buy it or. Yeah. So the interesting thing, if you understand somatics, you know, the mind and the body together, the, the guess what, guess what the, this part upper back muscles are called in the in mind body work. I don't, I don't know. The responsibility muscles. Oh, that's why women all have these tight necks and sore necks. I always say like we're holding we the weight like of the world. This, and we bend over. It's like a, it's like the yoke that we carry. Ugh. And yeah, we learn to do that. We carry this heavy yoke. And my thought about that, this is my own belief. It's not any, any, anything I've learned from anyone, but my idea about that is that for millennia now, for you know, thousands of years, men have had to go off and um, be the, the ones who, who shoot and kill either animals for food or each other. <laughs> and um, so you know, they've, they have a long history of putting their feelings away. You know, for men right now, it's very hard and challenging often to allow to allow themselves to be with their feelings. They're learning that. But um, but I, my thought is that in order to make it possible for men not to have to deal with their feelings, women have the responsibility of taking them on. So we've been trained throughout history to take care of men's emotions so that they don't have to, then they can go out and kill and hunt and all of that. And we carry the emotions. Uh, well, and <laughs> that's, the, a, that's a yo. whole other conversation, right? About men yeah. and not being able to deal with their emotions. And that's yeah. an important conversation too. But it is, it yeah. is fascinating to me how women have that, that tightness in their neck. And sometimes it, I, work with my clients around eating and other things about learning to trust their bodies again, that it's innately wise. And that concept is very foreign and very few people believe me when I say that. And so it's interesting that even if we choose not to believe it, it will show up in our body without asking our permission. That's exactly it. These things that um, you, that that's why I always say it, it's hard to shift these with your conscious mind because they're not in your conscious, your conscious mind knows better. You know, my conscious mind knows I'm not supposed to be responsible every, for everything, but I still lots of times behave as if I am. So I call those internalized oppressions. Mm. There, um, if there's nobody telling a young child when something hurtful is happening, there's nobody there telling that child, you know what, this isn't supposed to be happening. This is, this is not right. Then the child in, thinks, I guess this is the way the world is. I guess I'm going to, if I do something wrong, I'm going to get punished. I guess I'm bad. I guess there's something wrong. I'm, I'm not doing things right. The child internalizes that. 
and thinks that's the way life is and then treats herself as if it's true for many, many years. And it, so it, because it's really hard to change it with the conscious mind, but the body can be very useful in shifting those things. And that's what, um, that's what I like to work with, with, uh, with my clients is how to shift it in the body. And it, it's really interesting how the body can do it. And I, so. I wonder too, if everyone, do you always know that these experiences have formed you? Cause I know with my personal journey of healing, uh, the, what, what I thought was maybe some traumatic moments aren't really what's held in my body. So I don't know that everyone knows that these experiences have held over cause they're not always a traumatic event that's obvious. I guess that was really surprising yeah. to me that there were things hiding in there that were either generational or were um, exactly. not necessarily yeah. a big traumatic moment, but from the outside right. looking in, but I've, I've held it that way for me, how I that's experienced right. it. Lots of times we internalize things from our parents or from our, from in which they got from their parents and they got from their parents. So yes, it can ancestral um ancestral we ancestral things get handed down there's a huge group of of therapists in the world right now there's over a thousand um in this one group that are working on healing ancestral trauma and collective trauma and getting together and talking about okay you know how do we do that so and that's become um really uh common to notice what did i get handed down that, um, you know, one for me, and this is very funny, I'll, I'll share a personal one. Um, my, my parents were immigrants from the Ukraine and my one grandmother came from Poland. And um, they were, my, my mother was a baby when they came here. So it was in the early 1900s. And they got stuck in the factories of the East Coast. I mean, they came here to work to make a better living and and they did they made a better living but my mother went to work in a factory when she was 13 mm. and my father went this was before child labor laws you know and my father went to work in a factory when he was 10 wow. and so did everybody else in the whole town in the whole it was this little working class city in this little farm farm town um, and everybody worked all the time and so did all the children and so I have this huge internalized thing that says I have to be working all the time or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, I'm in a challenge right now um, to sit down and eat my breakfast and sit down and eat my lunch because I don't do that. Right. I walk around and do things while I'm eating my breakfast. I walk around and do things while eating my lunch. So I've been challenged by some really good friends and teachers to sit down and eat. And it's so hard. <laughs> it's I, so I, amazing how those simple, I mean, they're not simple, right? They seem simple ways to care for ourselves can yeah. be so challenging when it really rubs against those ingrained messages yeah. that we are holding yeah exactly so and i remember my my uh, my uh, my three adult children when they were they were teenagers they'd come home and they'd say oh mom must be sick she's watching tv <laughs> that was the only time i would go relax so here's here's an example of of how to shift something like that in the body 
So I'll show you, I'll, I'll just do it myself. Okay, so now I know I have this internalized, I have to be working all the time or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing, okay? So I, I close my eyes and I tune into my body. And later on, I'll show you, well, I can do it right now. Some fast ways to tune into the body. I find my feet and then I find my hands. Do this with me, find your feet and then find your hands. Sense the palms of your hands. And you're looking in the palms of your hands for a feeling of being alive, your life force, your aliveness. Can you feel what I'm talking about? I can feel it. Okay, yeah, that's your life force. Now that's you, okay? Just feel that energy. Sometimes it feels like activity or movement for anybody listening. It might be movement or circulation or just warmth or maybe just a sense of something. So you feel that. And then you go to your feet. You ground it by going to your feet. And then come back to it in your palms and feel it again. Some people might feel it as a vibration or even a heartbeat, which is really great. There's your energy. And then you can say to yourself, is there anything bad about that? So is there, Anastasia, when you feel that, is there anything bad about that? That what you're feeling in your palms? Right now, no. No, no. You see, we know right away there's nothing bad about it, even if we think there is. I thought I was supposed to find something bad. <laughs> uh <-huh. laughs> and you see, you know there isn't. Right. That's your higher self. Your higher self knows there's nothing wrong with you. There's mm. nothing wrong with that energy. Then you ground it by finding your feet again. And then you watch your breath. So I'm gonna do that, watch my breath with a slow exhale, cause I'll drop in even more. It's a slow exhale and I can feel my body relax. I feel myself drop in. Now I'm in my body. I'm tuned into my body. Now that I'm tuned into my body, now I can make a decision and I can say, I can decide I'm giving up this old belief that, and, and, and watch me after I say this and just watch what happens in my body. I'm giving up this old belief that I have to be working all the time or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And you see that big sigh that came, that just came all by itself. I didn't make it, it just happened. So it's so a big kind of breath into the, your nose and then breathing out, breathing out your mouth. It just happened. Out. Yeah. The, the body will release it. Now I can still feel like relaxation in my back <laughs> and especially in my shoulders. I can feel that happening. And I just be with the body and I let the body release that. And I notice that, oh, then I sit up straighter. And then I'm going to decide again. I'm giving up this old belief in the name of being an anti-capitalist. <laughs> I'm, I'm giving up this old belief that I have to be working all the time or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And see, that just happened again, that sigh. And a sigh is always a nice letting go. And then again, I feel my shoulders relax and I feel myself get a little taller and a little bigger. 
And then see, that's a clue for me that that old belief is actually a weight on me, holding me down, holding me back. And I know that intellectually, but now I can give it up in the body. I can give up believing that I'm supposed to be working all the time or I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And it just always amazes me all over my eyes now, how that breath will just come by itself. So. And I think a lot of people think that um, mindfulness or some of this breath work or self-work needs to take 10, 20 minutes, an hour a day. And that was what, two to three minutes and I interrupted you, yeah. right? So that's yeah. a really quick exercise yeah. for someone yeah. that they could probably pull in throughout their day when they do catch that messaging. Yeah, whatever that message is. Just but a few minutes. The biggest thing is to remember to tune into the body. Then there's more. I mean, that will help it a lot. And right. it, it's helping me a lot. But then the other thing, that's where um, internalized family systems come in, comes in. Which, what does that mean? Internalized family systems. Internalized family systems is uh, the other, this other kind of therapy that I really love. Internal family systems therapy. And it understands the human being as a system of parts. So we have lots of different parts of us. And what it says is that if you go, it uses mindfulness in the body, like we were just in the body. And if you go, if you go in mindfulness in the body and you go back in time to a child that took something on and you witness that child and you be with that child and you talk to that child and you teach that child something else and you make a difference back there, back in time, when you make a difference and do something differently and help that child heal from whatever the hurt is, um, it makes, re there's lots of research, including a lot of research from Harvard that shows that when you do that in the past, it changes the neural pathways in the present. So I also have to go back and work with the young child that took that on, that belief on that she has to be you know, I have lots of memories about that, you know, and, um, and work with, listen to those memories and help that child. And what the goal is to unburden that child, to witness and take action wherever we need to, but eventually to unburden that child, to release that child's burdens that they were carrying. Which and, is also really powerful because I think sometimes there's an attachment to someone else in our healing process. Like we think, oh, this person might need to take responsibility for what they've done or maybe have a conversation with our parents or someone who's hurt us. And, and the truth is healing is our path and our journey. And this requires you to reparent yourself and, and show up in those. You don't need anyone else to do that. It's, it's exactly. all within yeah. you to heal yourself with maybe some guidance if this is new to you. But you don't need anyone else to do this work. Yeah, and, and, and other people really can't. They can't do it for you. It's funny because the, um, Dick Schwartz is the founder of Internal Family Systems. And um, how he ended up developing that was he was um, the, a textbook. Well, he actually, he wrote textbooks on family, <laughs> ther family therapy. He was at the University of Chicago. He was the, the head of you know, the family therapy department um, bringing families together to do healing work. And he uh, discovered over time 
that, um, especially by working with women with eating disorders, that um, there are lots of different parts of us. Mm -hmm. And so he started to understand the, the human being as a system of parts. And um, so there's these young child parts that got hurt. And, um, and those are the ones that need healing. But then we have these protective protectors that they're the behaviors that form in us to keep those young children down. And I think that's really important that people hear that, like these behaviors are there to protect us. Yes. That's it's not right. that something's wrong with us or broken exactly. with us or they're exactly. so wise. We need those yeah. protected. We did need hopefully those protective layers, but them. now we might not yeah. need those anymore. That's right. And so, yeah, so what we do in internal family systems is we identify the protectors. So that's a protector mm -hmm. of mine. You have to be working all the time or you're going to be in trouble. You're not going to be good enough or whatever you know which is and so much more empowering too that that message is your protector i don't think i've ever heard that before Ooh, yeah like that yeah. what those those messages you take on yeah and and so to, the protectors take on an, an extreme role and and his um, what he discovered was that um the, these protectors have an original purpose in you which is not that mm but they had to go to that extreme role in order to protect you. But when they figure out and they don't, you know, like I work with clients all the time, every day, these protectors live in the part of the brain where there's no time. Mm. They don't know how old you are. They don't know much about your life now, even if they can vaguely see it, they really don't. And when, when we really talk to a protector, one of the questions we ask is, how old do you think I am? And they often say things like five, three, two. And, and so, and so they, mm. but they can be updated. We can update them and help them to see, okay, I'm actually 70 years old. <laughs> I'm not, I'm not that five-year-old. So is this some, something you would access when someone's in a very relaxed state? Is that, my, that how this is coming Okay. Yeah. In mindfulness in the body. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, so we, we, we treat the protectors with compassion, but we update them and let them see. And we also commit to taking care of the young ones they're trying to protect. And then once that happens, then they can see, okay, now maybe I can go back to my original job. Lots of times they don't even remember what it was. And lots of times it's the opposite of what they're doing now. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, they had a, a different job and they can go back to their original job, which is then really helpful in your life instead of being problematic in your life. So that's, you know, using internal family systems to go back. So both things in the present, working in the body, releasing things in the body, working with the memories and the emotions that come up that are stored in the body but then taking action. And I love it because you can be really creative in uh, taking action back there. So, you know, you can, um, you can create a difference in the past that didn't happen back then, but it could happen now because it's 2021 now and you have your imagination available to you. So you can create a difference back there. And again, it changes the neural pathway in the present. And and I think that's something that, again, not everybody 
knows is that you have these neural pathways in your brain that are laid down. And I always think of them like little roads or roots. And so if I'm trying to change a habit or behavior or a message, it takes time to build a new road or build a new pathway. And so when you're on that journey to go with compassion, I think is my favorite word because it takes time to move the road from way over here to 10 miles to the right. That just takes some, some time to do. And it's not again, because you're a failure or something's broken, you're rewiring your brain, which can be changed. Your brain can change, which is amazing. And in internal family systems, we, we, um, we, we come with compassion to these protectors because when you think about it, okay, they're protecting a two-year-old mm. or a three-year-old baby. They're trying to make life better for a little one. So yeah, thank you very much for doing that right. all that time. And guess what? Now you don't have to anymore. Right. I can. So the reason I brought all this up was because you were talking about, you know, doing our own work and I, I went into this long thing about Dick Schwartz because the title of one of his books is called You're the One You've Been Waiting For. Ah, great <laughs> title. Yes. And I, I just, I, I think of my own healing journey that we're all on for forever. But I think there was that point in time, probably when I was younger, where you were waiting for someone else to come in or some external force. And then all of a sudden you realize like, oh, I'm it. This is me. It's in me. It's within me. And I have guides that are there to help me who know more things than I do. But this healing journey is all within inside this body of mine. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, it's it's really amazing the little children that we were in internal family systems, we call those exiles, the ones we put away, we exiled them, you know, keep, keep them down. They're carrying too much hurt. Don't let them out. But when you do go to them, uh, lots of times they were feeling alone or not cared about. And when they receive your care and they realize you're there for them, and, you know, eventually in the process, it takes a while sometimes because you have to witness a lot that they need to show you. But eventually you bring them to present time to live with you. You mm. know, and you create a place in your mind or your heart or your house or whatever. I have my little exiles all in my field next next to me. They love to play over there. And the thing is, you you get all their good qualities as well as because when you put things away, you put everything away. So you regain the good qualities that you lost back then too. Mm. I wonder how, I'm thinking of some of my coaching clients and I'm wondering, I think uh, some people have done a more traditional talk therapy. And I've noticed that while that's a wonderful modality, a lot of people, including myself when I was doing it, would get frustrated because you'd have these great insights and realizations. And then you go like, I get it with my conscious mind, but then you show up and how you behave or these things that come up would pop up and you're like, well, I I did all the work. I get it. But then how I behave is different. And so I wonder for someone on their own journey, how they might know if they might need to, they might have something stuck in their body to sort of work through. And I think like you said, the tightness in the neck and the shoulders is one of that physical sign. And then how else might someone know that this might be some work that has an opportunity for you for some healing and to let go of some messaging. 
So you are asking me how somebody might know? Yeah. How might they know that this is this might be something to explore for them? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things you said is that, you know, it's that frustration about I can't seem to make this different. I can't. Mm. I still keep carrying this. So those kinds of things that you're still carrying, those behaviors that you still find yourself in, we call those trailheads. You know, the mm. behavior the behavior is a is a is a protector of some kind. <laughs> oh, I see you moving. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> it's just so good because it's so true, right? We focus on like, oh, I just need to like eat less or drink less wine. It's like that's just the real beginning of the journey yeah. when we pull yeah. that back. Yeah. So you look at you. So what we would do with that, like, let's say, say it's I, I, I need to eat less or I need to drink less. Like there are manager protectors and then there are the firefighters. And the managers are the ones that kind of keep everything in line. But when they don't, when they can't, if these feelings are coming up, these old feelings or these old thoughts or these old decisions I made about myself are coming up. Sometimes the firefighters come in. They're the big guns. The things like overeating or using alcohol or other addictions or shopping addiction or gaming or, you know, numbing out. Um, oh, remind me, I want to talk about the vagus nerve. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But um, so, so with the firefighters um, and the managers, whichever the behavior, whatever the behavior is, or the belief, that's a trailhead. So when we're in mindfulness in the body, we take that trailhead and we follow it. And it will usually show us a young child. Mm. that's the exile it'll show us the exile and then we commit to helping that exile helping that little child and and do and then that's where the work is you're doing the work there so if somebody has a suspicion or feels like they haven't gotten somewhere then following the trailhead yeah. Oh, that's so it's so good. I think yeah. I I think a lot of um women that I meet with they do some emotional eating. And so that's always interesting to me when they say, you know, I just don't have the willpower or the motivation and I need more discipline and determination and I have to take a breath before I respond. Yeah. Um and I know for me I come from a history of disordered eating and it was a huge shift in awareness to re to see the other side of that as a protective mechanism, as a yeah. regulating mechanism, as it had nothing to do with the eating. That was just the tool that happened to manifest for me. And, and you to, know what? You, you just mentioned two kinds of protectors, okay, that are polarized, okay? So there's the one that eats too much, and then there's the one that comes up and says, well, you just need a little more self-discipline, or you just need a little... That's another, that's a protector. And these two are polarized. Mm. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> oh, it's so, it's so good. And I, I just, I think I feel for my younger self who took this all so personally and was so alone. But yeah. I also see it now in other women, whether it's eating or something else, where they do take it as such a personal flaw, like this idea of discipline. If I were to be stronger or tougher, and yes. I just love the word compassion because almost yeah. the opposite is almost always true. If we can come at it with love and compassion and follow that yeah. trailhead down, it often leads us somewhere. Yeah. So I'm going to talk 
a little bit about the vagus nerve because this is really important. Um, yes. And the newest information uh, about the whole vagus system is only about 12 or 15 years old. And it's remarkably radical in the understanding now. And there's, it's a big shift in human consciousness, actually. So this is an important thing. So the way I like to explain it is we have three systems of protection in the body, okay? Your natural most evolved form of protection is your human connection system, okay? So if you think about a baby, and, and the human connection system, this is part, part of what we know now about the vagus nerve. It's actually a physical system in your body. We didn't know this before 13 years ago. And Stephen Porges figured this out. And I met him one time and, and I couldn't understand his, his um, art. He gave me his article. I couldn't understand it. He's such a scientist. He's really hard to understand. So I gave it to a doctor friend at Mayo and I said, would you read this? And and tell me what it says. And I called her back in about a week and she said, or two weeks, and she said, oh, I was hoping you'd forget. I couldn't understand it either. <laughs> so we got, we got together and, and we poured over it. And she said, oh my God, this is amazing. I have to put a stop to something they're doing here at Mayo because they're cutting the vagus nerve. And the vagus nerve in the mo most basic sense, I think you could explain that to people before yeah. we go further, because yeah, I don't I'll think you, that. oh, yeah. okay, perfect. Yeah, but but what I want to tell you is that we went to the library at Mayo, the, the medical books had this much, one little column about the vagus nerve, they didn't really know what it was. And she said, they're still cutting it for people who have bad um, digestive issues or um, uh, stuff going on in their gut they cutting it and she said i have to put a stop to it <laughs> because okay if you think about we have we're born with three systems of protection and they're facilitated by the vagus nerve all three of them the most evolved again is your human connection system and it's your heart your eye contact your facial expression your hearing your voice and everything from here up so you think about a baby, okay? So here's a little baby, maybe she's just a couple months old and she wants to be taken care of. So she looks up at mom, she makes eye contact, mom makes eye contact back and she coos with her voice and mom talks in a prosaic voice back, a nice voice like that. Do you see how when I talk like that, you smile? Yeah, right? yeah. And I the think human. of my kids and how I did that. And that's the human connection system turning on in you. I'm using this voice. <laughs> it <automatically laughs> turns it on. <laughs> so, you know, mom is talking like that to this child and this child is taking it in and mom feels warm in her heart. So she takes care of the baby. Okay. That's the human connection system working. It's operating, it's successful. Okay, so if that fails the baby and mom doesn't respond, and there, there are videos that show this where they have moms turn away, it's very sad, it's painful, they're painful to watch. And it's only seconds really of how long they look yeah. away or disconnect. So mom disconnects and doesn't respond to the baby, so the, or goes away and the baby's there by herself for a long time 
okay, then the baby gets scared and thinks, okay, I'm not being taken care of. I have to turn on my next protection system. And I'm pointing to my, can you see me right here? Pointing to my diaphragm right yep. here. I have to turn on the fight flight system. That's your second form of protection, fight flight. And that produces adrenaline in the body. And so then the baby can ramp it up and then she can yell and she can cry. And she, maybe a baby will wave their arms if they get really upset and they'll kick their feet and they'll really cry, right? You know how that, you've seen that, right? Yeah, yeah. And then mom will come. Okay, so the baby's really crying. So mom comes and takes care of the baby, holds, holds her up here. They go back to human connection. Okay, so the fight flight worked when she needed it. She needed to use it. That's, but the problem is that's adrenaline. This is the oxytocin cascade. And the oxytocin cascade is all about connection, human connection, and it's all the positive brain chemicals. When you're so making the eye contact and the, yes. Yep. And when you're using a prosaic or a nice voice, not a mad voice, but a nice, like a nice prosaic voice, you know, and yes. then we, we smile. See? <laughs> I can't even not smile. I'm trying not to smile, but I cannot smile. <laughs> it just happens. Right. The system is working. Okay. Right. So, uh, but, so this is all the positive brain chemicals over time, you know, but the adrenaline system is the chemicals that run the body on fast speed all the time. So we, and uh, you know, athletes love the adrenaline system in the body. They love the fight flight because then they can do hard things. We need that system. Sometimes we need to do hard things and we need adrenaline. We need the energy that that gives. But, but that's if, meant to be that short burst exactly go out there accomplish something and then ramp it back down instead of yes, a constant state exactly but if you get in the habit of being in fear all the time if you if you were little and you were scared all the time then you're going to be in the habit of producing adrenaline kind of automatically all the time and that's like running the body on high speed all the time and it's harsh and it wears your body out so we have a third protection system. Okay, so let's go back to that baby. So let's say mom doesn't come. Baby's really crying. She's got the adrenaline going. She's trying to get mom and mom doesn't come. Mom doesn't take care of her. So then the baby says, okay, I'm not being taken care of. I've got to shut everything down because I have to preserve my life. I might die if I don't. So I'm going to just shut down, totally shut down, and the baby will go to sleep. Yeah, the baby will go to sleep, but she's turning on the shutdown in order to do that. And again, we need the shutdown system in the body, just like we need the adrenaline system and we need the, the upper. This is called the ventral vagus system, the ventral vagal. This is called the central vagal. We need the central and diaphragm yep and it goes right down your spine like it it connects to different places up here in your in your your neck and your head and then it connects to the diaphragm and then and that's why they were cutting it at the diaphragm at mayo because when you have adrenaline on it tells your body don't digest your food right now you got to do this hot other hard hard job 
So for people who were having ulcers and stuff like that, they were cutting it there so, so that it wouldn't operate. And that's what this doctor put a stop to. She said, you can't do that anymore. That was only you know, 13 years ago. So anyway, but now that we still don't know very much about the shutdown. So we need, we know we need it, you know, like if you're in a car crash or you're in a dangerous accident or something really bad happens to you, you might have to go unconscious, right? Mm -hmm. Because the pain is too big. Okay. So sometimes the pain is too big and I have to go unconscious. So we turn on the, what's called the dorsal vagal. And the interesting thing is scientists don't know yet what the chemical is that turns on the shutdown response. That they don't, always amazes me. With yeah, everything we know. They're making guesses about it. Some say it's acetylcholine. I've been asking, okay, does anybody know yet what it is? And they don't know yet. Hmm. But anyway, we know we have it. Like, you know, um, food overeating will turn it on. Okay, that's the shutdown. If I eat and eat and eat, then then I will numb out. I know so a little bit about that. Mm -hmm. There's a range, see, of shutdown. There's the total dissociation, you know, go totally out, go unconscious. And, you, you know, like I said, we need to have that available. Or there's a range, you know, I can go pretty numb. I can be spaced out. I can be not feeling anything by overeating, by watching TV too much, or by gaming, or by uh, gambling, or alcohol, or whatever it is, that, that those things turn on the shutdown response. So, you know, for, for most of us, we're taught to do that a lot when we were young. To and, and people joke about it now, right? Like, oh, I just had too many glasses of wine, ha, 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 or like, oh, I... I think with food and alcohol, it's something that are, it's an acceptable form of self-medicating and we joke exactly. about it and, and not that food or wine is, is bad, but how we use it. Yeah. You see self-medicating, self it's turning on that, hor that hormone, whatever that is that they don't know yet what it is, you know? So, um, uh, that to learn how to, um, what you have stored in your body, if you know that you're shutting down a lot, then you know that you have stuff put away that you're not being able to access. And, you know, being able to have a choice about sometimes you have to have it, you know, but you can turn the upper ventral vagal back on. So here's, here's an example. Um, you know, when somebody is using a harsh voice, okay, they're in probably in fight flight. So my husband comes home from work. He's had a stressful day. He's had got a lot of adrenaline on. He comes in and he's kind of mad and he talks in a mad voice, right? <laughs> so I have learned to do this, which is very funny. I say when he's talking like that, he's, you know, he comes in, he says something about some complaint to me or whatever, something mad. I look up and I say, I don't look at him. So I'm not blaming him. I just look up and I say, I'm pretending you're being loving and caring. And I'm pretending I'm being loving and caring too. And he starts laughing. When I say that, I say it in, in a non-mad voice. I say it in that kind of prosaic voice. And it turns on his other system, you know, <laughs> and then he's, 
he's laughing and he <laughs> he's not so mad anymore. <laughs> so we can turn, this is the other thing that's new. We can turn this system on much easier than we thought we could. And I'll give you an example. Would you try this out? I would love to. Okay. So, um, so just a quick way to turn on the ventral vagal. So if you're going into sh shutdown or you're in fight or flight and you want to go into ventral vagal, you can try this. So you close your eyes for a moment and put your hand on your heart. Just put your hand on your heart. And then you just feel your hand there. So you're feeling touch or connection. You're feeling a little bit of, of touch right there. Touch makes a big difference to turn on the ventral vagus system in the oxytocin cascade. And then, so touch is really important. And then you think about someone, so think about right now, someone you love and care about. Just think about someone you love and care about. And notice how now you're breathing more. You see your breath? Yeah, your, your, your breath got bigger, okay? That's ventral vagal turning on, coming out of fight, flight, or anything anxious or anything like that. And then think about someone who loves and cares about you. And how does that feel right now? How do you feel? I think the first thing I noticed is the second I brought them to mind, my whole chest expanded. Isn't that Not amazing? Even thinking about it. And yeah. I didn't even have a very clear yeah. vision of this person because I'm multitasking right now. I mean, it was just like yeah. the wisp of thinking of this person and then my whole breath expanded and yeah. calmed yeah. down. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. Yes. If you want, um, I'll email you. Um, and if anybody who's listening to this wants yeah, to read, we can put them in the notes. Um, I will. <laughs> Sorry. It's okay. It's late. Um, anyway, um, there, I have a comparison of two systems, mm -hmm. a comparison of the oxytocin cascade or the ventral vagal system and to the adrenaline system. And in we the, are all on adrenaline so often, chronic stress, just in that pedal to the metal overdrive almost all yeah. the time, which is supposed to be something we're in when we need it in right. urgent situations versus this oxytocin feel good. Yeah. Where we're supposed to be most, we're in the wrong system. Most and learning to come out of it. And it's easier. That's the other thing that's just being discovered now that it's easier, much easier to come out of adrenaline into the human connection system than we thought. Mm, something could be easy what <laughs> so amazing I um I think that the one other thing I really want to make sure to bring up with you is anxiety because yeah. right now and especially in the last four years I think that whether you have anxiety or not this last couple of years has put most people into an anxious state and much more chronically and so I think yeah. that's something to talk about as far as yeah. Yeah. We've been in this for a dis long time. How to discharge anxiety in the body. Yes. I love working with anxiety um, because anxiety actually and fear tells us our unconscious limiting thoughts about ourselves. Ooh, say that again. Anxiety and fear tell us what our unconscious limiting 
thoughts and expectations are about ourselves. That's I'll show you. Good. I'll show you in a minute. But first, I want to. I want to go over how the body discharges anxiety. And I've been teaching all my clients this all the time. And if they come to a session and they're feeling a lot of anxiety, we we do some of this. And it's funny because um, you know there's so many things you can listen to online these days and there's a famous woman from California and I don't have time to listen to all these interesting things but there's a famous woman from California and she issued this podcast about six ways to be happy and I thought oh I'll listen to that maybe that'd be helpful for my clients well the third way she showed was um, she put on music and she showed people what I call discharging anxiety. <laughs> she called it a way to be happy. I call it discharging anxiety. So what we know about the body is we discharge fear and anxiety through laughing, trembling and shaking, shivering, crying, hot sweat, cold sweat, and having to pee. So those are ways the body naturally discharges. Like, you know how, how when you're playing hide and seek when you're little and you're excited and then you have to pee? Yes, yes. <laughs> it's because your body wants to discharge that nervousness, you know. But anyway, you can help your body. And let's do a little bit of this. So put your, put your feet on the floor and come up on the balls of your feet. And then bounce your feet up, your heels up and down so that your legs shake. Okay? Just let your heels bounce up and down. That's shaking to, to discharge fear. So I can do that a lot. Sometimes you'll see people do just one leg and then do the other leg. You'll see people in a group and they're bouncing their leg like that. They're discharging nervousness. They don't know it, but they are. And it's good to do that. That's a good thing to do. Then you can, the other thing you can do, and anybody who's scared can do this at any time. Put your heels down and then take your knees and go back and forth toward each other. And that shakes your calves and your thighs, okay? You're shaking. And then that involves your hips. So then you can move your hips back and forth like that and see how that involves your shoulders. You can shake your arms. Like I said, she put music on and she had people do this to music. Okay, shake your arms and then take your shoulders and bring them up and down loosely and maybe combine a few different things. And whatever brings shivers or goosebumpy feelings, like when I go like this or like this, I get goosebumpy feelings down my arms. Okay, I'm discharging the fear, okay, or the nervousness or the anxiety. And then would you be willing to just bring up any, so any of those you can do at any time, okay? You can do that anytime you need to. Right. Sometimes when I'm really scared, I'll walk around the house and just do that. Hmm? I watched this scary movie last night. <laughs> I would do this before I went to bed. You know, I didn't know it was going to be scary. It's like, oh my God. So <laughs> discharge it so I can go to sleep and sleep well, right? Right. Okay, so think about a fear for a moment. Would you mind sharing with out loud? What's a fear? Um, um, I always am afraid, not always, but like when I have bad dreams or that really big fear is when you lose your kids and you can't get to them. So like with that okay. moment when you can't see them and they're really okay. just like around the backyard or something and then it's like, <gasps> okay. where are they? Yeah, 
Okay, that's an ancient fear that most women carry about losing our children. Yeah, okay? that's a big one. Because it used to take four or five or seven or eight pregnancies to have one child survive. So we have in our cellular memory, the fear of losing our children. So right now, if you'd be willing, go ahead and be scared of that and bounce your knees. Just bounce your knees while you're letting yourself be scared of losing your children. Okay, go ahead and remove your shoulders or whatever you want to do while you're scared of losing your children. Oh my God, I might lose my children. Okay, now you get to notice that you're already expecting that to happen. You see that? You're expecting that you'll lose your children. All right, so I'm gonna ask you, because you're paying attention to your body, I'm gonna ask you to make a decision right now to give up expecting to lose your children. Will you do that? Yes. Okay, decide out loud. I'm giving up expecting to lose my children. I'm giving up expecting to lose my children. And any old assumption, any old assumption that's supposed to happen. Any old assumption that that's supposed to happen. And then you just pause and let your body just do whatever it wants to do. Right there, just notice that, that breath right there that you, that looked like a kind of a relax. There you go, watch that breath. That's the body releasing that. Decide one more time. I'm giving up expecting to lose my children in any old uh, assumption that's supposed to happen. I'm giving up expecting to lose my children in old any old assumption that that's supposed to happen. There. Feel that. Do you feel that in your chest? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So that's one you can give up expecting to have happen. You see, that's how fears show us our unconscious limiting expect. You don't have to expect that. You know, if something happened to one of your, your your children, you deal with it, but you don't have to expect it. Right. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. Well, and I love really practical things like that because we don't necessarily need to understand it all, but we can move our bodies in certain ways. And I have I have a kid who has anxiety that these little little things we try and sprinkle in, which teaches me things like moving your body or shaking your body or for him crunching yeah. on ice is really powerful to come home from school and just crunch on ice. And that's really regulating for him. Yeah, um, yeah. But there's those little things that you can bring in throughout the day that you don't need to let it spin so out of control and consume you. Yeah, yeah. Is, so that's whoops. why I love working with anxiety and fear because it shows us the limitations that we are expecting to have happen. We don't have to expect them. What's and the quantum physics, quantum physics shows us it's better if you don't expect those things because sometimes what you expect is all you can see. Hmm. That's what quantum physics shows us. You can't see anything else. Yeah. What's the difference between I depression and anxiety because I loved the someone once told me because again my my child has anxiety which is really hard for me to put those goggles on because I prefer depression I like to climb into a pit and just like get in it and sink right in and so 
for me, it's always interesting to notice the difference between the two because I'm trying to, I had postpartum anxiety, but that was a new, that's not who I was. That was a new experience for me to try on that view of the world because that's not something I'd experienced before. Mm-hmm. Well, um, depression is usually um, fear and I mean, and sadness held in, especially sadness held in over a long period of time. When you always put your sadness away, it becomes depression. So it's a long period of putting the sadness away. That's And I think we don't do a good job as people right now. We talk a lot about our happy emotions, right? Like the happy, the joy, the look really good, that the Instagram or the social media version of our lives, but we don't give a lot of space to the fear or the sadness or the disappointment or the grief. Exactly. And- And especially as women, like we got to hold it all together. So we're either a hot mess of a human being and being dramatic or emotional, or it's like, we have to be. Notice what your body did when you said that you went like this, we got to hold it. You feel that tension? It feels like it's like a container. Yeah. That's the tension that holds that stuff. Yeah. And um, we are, as human beings, we are only learning maybe in the last 30 years, we're only learning the importance of allowing the emotions. This is new. And in the last about 30 years, you know, before that it was all talk therapy. Now therapists are understanding emotional therapy for the first time, really. And um, human beings are, in fact, one one of the ways I like to say is, um, you know, the Greeks wrote about everything but they left emotions to the arts. Mm. They didn't know what to write about emotions. And, and so this is new in human history. In Eastern religions, you know, we think of them as very advanced, you know, Buddhism and other things like that. But they, they always talked about mastering your emotions, coming up above them. So it's only in the last 30, 30 or 40 or 50 years that we are understanding that human beings need to just allow them and um, there's a famous, a famous meditation teacher, actually, she's a Buddhist. She says, if you really just allow your emotion, whatever it is, it'll last about 90 seconds. I was just going to bring that up because it's so amazing that it feels so yeah. consuming and like, I can't go there. And yeah. I, I recently had a death in, in my family and it's, interesting when I have the time and space to just sit in it where it's this huge tidal wave and it really is moments and it's yeah that release comes and it's over yeah yeah if you to just allow it to be yeah just let yourself I, I sometimes I say I'm a crying cheerleader <laughs> <laughs> I'm a crying yes. cheerleader. I'm, a, I'm a laughing cheerleader when you're crying you're healing a hurt hmm. you know and that's how you can heal it Yeah. Before I like to end every guest with a few questions. Is there anything else that I didn't bring up that you think is important for people to know or that you would like to bring up? Well, I think I would just say that anybody who's on this path of understanding their emotions and working with their emotions in the body and understanding the body and the, the, the importance of tuning into the body. I like to say you're a pioneer. And the evolution of the human race that we are evolving, you see, toward more and more connection. Mm. We, and, and only in the last 13 years do we know this is a system in the body. We've always had it, but we didn't know it was a system. 
system in the body. Now we do. So we are evolving. So I congratulate people about being a pioneer in the evolution of the human race. Mm. So you're a pioneer in the evolution of, of the human. I mean, what, what, what would it be like with a world with more and more connection? Hmm? Which is just... Loving care. Yes, it just feels so different than yeah. the last few years that have been so full of fear and distrust in that that bringing it down which is why I love women right however a person chooses to define their themselves but uh, women because they just I think have that superpower of connection and caring yeah. and empathy even though I, I might not understand your experience I can connect and right. and, and bring each people together I'm glad you brought that up because you know the Dalai Lama and several other very wise teachers as a wise native teacher also, Native American teacher from North Dakota, uh, medicine man. They both say that the future of the human race will be carried out by the women, that the, the women are the future. And you know, one of the reasons is we, are, we naturally think relationally. That's our natural way of thinking. We have, we have more parts in the brain that light up when we're thinking relationally than men do. <laughs> now, whether that's conditioning or whether that's genetic, we don't really know. But we do. there's like 17 places in your brain that light up when you're thinking relationally. And men have five or six. <laughs> so, yes, women are the future. Oh, yes. Yes. Oh, I think it's hard to top that. So I'm just going to stop there. But I do want to ask just you personally, first of all, thank you for sharing your wisdom and your passion and some, I, I feel like I need to listen to this now myself. I have some things I need to pull those threads, but um, what is something that you wish more people knew, whether it's about their brains or their bodies or this healing process or journey that they might be on? What do I wish more people knew? Um, I guess just about you know what we're learning about discharging emotions through the body, letting the body discharge emotions, and understanding the you know the systems, and especially this ventral vagal human connection system. Yeah. yeah. What pisses you off? <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, well. Uh, the people who are really, really, really stuck in the adrenaline system, especially that are in the shutdown, um, you know, the, the capitalists that um, don't care about anyone else, the capitalists that, the white male supremacy capitalist pisses me off. <laughs> yeah. Okay. What brings you great joy? Oh, uh, my grandchildren, my Which grandchildren. Now you have a newest one to add to that joy. And I have another one coming. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just the best. within the next week. Yeah. When I think about when I need to cry, like if I think if I, if I need to discharge, I need to just be in my emotions about the climate or about the situation in the government or whatever. I think about my, my grandchildren mm -hmm. and I, I can just cry because I want a world that, that works better for them. 
I want a, a good world for them where people care about each other. Yeah. So that's one way I can access my deeper emotions. Mm. Yes. What is, what is a hard life lesson that you have had to learn or are currently learning? <laughs> well, I think I kind of shared about that one yeah. about not having to work all the time. I mean, right. I've been that for such a long time. Yeah. And, and another one, um, um, I'm working a lot on ancestral, on my own ancestral lineage. And, you know, I had a grandfather who was a child soldier. Mm. I didn't really pay attention to that. And I feel, I felt the pain in my heart of, of his, um, having to kill at, you know, 13 or 14. He was in the army seven times during his, before he was 22. And um, so I, some of my ancestral trauma um, like that, I felt like he, he kind of woke me up. I was feeling this terrible pain in my heart. What is this? What is this? And in, in one of my own sessions, it just came to me that, oh my God, this is my grandfather's pain. He's showing it to me because he knows I'll, I'll do something with it. Yeah. So it wasn't easy to feel that. I mean, I cried for days mm. when I thought about, you know, I could cry right now when I think about, you know, a teenage boy having to kill other people. Yeah. Yeah. I think this idea of ancestral trauma is, is new to some of us. And I think I had a vague idea of it. And then when I followed my family lineage, there's, I don't have that, but there is trauma that you can feel that. I love what you just said about, I'm going to say it differently, but I feel like it's my job to heal it because I'm in a place that I can. Yes. So it's, it's really hard and painful, but I, I don't necessarily blame my ancestors for not handling it or dealing with it because it feels like now that's, that's my job is to yeah. take on that because I have the tools available to then release that pain and trauma to not continue to pass that on to. Yeah. And here, here's something funny. Okay. So I'm talking a lot about human connection, right? <laughs> well, one of the things my, my, my ancestors, my grandpa, my father, my grandmother, parents, my grandfathers, and several of the generation before were total alcoholics and disconnected. So, okay, so what am I dealing with? I'm dealing with encouraging more and more human connection, right? So this is, this is one of the, the um, traumas, the, the disconnection, the shutdown that yeah. they used as yeah. their protectors. Yeah. Yeah. Mm, mm. What to close it out? Uh, when was the last time or last experience that you were proud of yourself? Oh, huh. When was I proud of myself recently? Oh, I was really proud of myself recently, just in the last few days. I wish I had time to tell you about this. This is interesting. Where I was working with fear, someone was. Um, uh, afraid to get the second dose of the vaccine because she had had a severe reaction when she was little. And we worked with that fear and I invited her to, and she gave me permission to share about this so I can share about this. Yeah. Um, we, we followed the fear and the fear said she was going to have a severe reaction because she'd had one when she was young. 
And so I asked her to give up expecting that to happen and any old assumption that it was supposed to happen. She cried for the longest time in our session. Like she just would cry when she'd say that. And I just counted on it healing the past, you know, when she'd had that reaction before. She had no reaction to the second dose. <laughs> None, not right. even as much as the first one. Right, let it go. Oh, so good. So I'm proud of myself for doing that with her and yeah. also for asking her if I could share about that because yeah. it was such a great example of working with fear. For someone who is looking to work with a practitioner, how would they begin that process? What are some of the words or what would they be looking for with someone to work with in this? Um, well, um, anyone who practices somatically or mind and body together, or anybody who is a, is a good uh, internal family systems therapist understands mind and body together. Mm -hmm. Also somatic experiencing, there's also Rosen method. Um, you know, those are different, um, different, uh, uh, or, um, what's it called? Um, it's one of the ones I'm trained in. And I just, <laughs> that uh, one, look up that one. <laughs> we can also put it in the show notes. Sensory, no sensory motor, um, is, is good for that too. The most powerful though are somatic experiencing any anyone who's trained in somatics. There's different kinds of somatics. Okay. Yeah. I think it just can feel overwhelming when you start to look, so it's helpful to have some of those. Yeah, or find somebody words. in internal family systems. Perfect. Really good. Yay. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I feel like I uh -huh. now have a little things that I'm gonna follow those trailheads on. Yeah. <laughs> uh and <laughs> Thank you for being willing to, to work. Let me work with you. I love it. I love it. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Fierce Joy podcast. So now what? You have to take action. Nothing changes if you don't change something. Take one tiny insight and do something with it today or even better now. Make it easy, obvious, and of course, as enjoyable as possible. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out. I friggin' love this stuff. You can connect with me on Instagram at Anastasia Galka Health Coach or on my website at AnastasiaGalka.com. If you're feeling stuck or like it's time to make a change, I offer a totally free 30-minute coaching session to get you started. I'd love to hear from you. And hey, if you know someone that this episode would be helpful for, please make sure to share it with a friend and get the word out. Thanks for joining and see you next time.